Hello and welcome to season three, episode 19 of Dualist Community. I am a wave, but also the entire ocean and all of the other waves happening here and now. I'm just grateful to be part of the ride. Wherever those waves are going, I'm just enjoying the entire experience of being a part of it. Whether I'm it or part of it or riding on it doesn't really matter at this point. I'm just learning to enjoy myself without causing harm to others, preferably. Let the other waves be what they're being and try and work with them to learn as much as I can about my own. That all said, this is really exciting. The retreat's coming up. Tickets are no longer on sale, so you will no longer hear announcements about tickets being available. Thank you for your patience while you've listened to the podcast for the last several months. We appreciate that. We will be live streaming from the retreat, just so you know, on our Patreon page, possibly on our Discord as well. We might share our karaoke moments. We might share some of our conversations. Definitely going to share a meditation. If we do a meditation, there's some group yoga and a classical guitarist that will be joining us. So if we can live stream that as well, we will. So definitely join us on Patreon next week if you can, and if you'd like to keep on top of all the details of our retreat as we go through it. Likewise, there will be no episode next week. Just so you know, the next episode will be released on November 22nd, because we're going to take the entire week off just to focus on where we are. That's it for the announcements. We're going to move on to discussing things with our guest, who I'm very excited to introduce. I've been waiting to talk to David for at least six months now after I ran across his content on TikTok. David is ridiculously reasonable. Um, he is honest. He's self-reflective. His content is about as deep as I think it should be, considering all of the things that he talks about. He talks about empathy, identity, spirituality, and of course, the difference between concepts and experience. And he does so in a way that is a conversation with himself, which is obviously what we talk about all the time, being a conversation with everyone, but he does so in a way where it's engaging and it's meaningful and it's very easy to relate to. David, it's a pleasure to have you here. Normally, I would say, tell us a bit about yourself, but given your content, I know that conversation is going to be a little weird. So how about you just tell us a little bit about what you do, why you do it, and what brought you to it? Uh, hey, thank you for having me. Wow, what a legit intro. Holy shit, not gonna. That was fantastic. Okay, I'm going to clip that, man. I'm just keep that for my mom. Um, I'm David. Uh, I pretty much just run my mouth a little too much online. <laughs> Um, I think like most people, I kind of got into this space mainly, uh, for, for myself, it just kind of manifested very naturally, uh, and maybe initially quite egoically was probably, um, just a means to share something with the me that may have needed it years ago, like be like, Hey, you know, I'm definitely by no means have anything quote unquote figured out, but um, I would have still appreciated somebody being saying something like this, this way at that time. And I did benefit from people doing that for me. So if I can just do that for myself again, sure. So that's kind of my vibe. That's brilliant. And I would say that's exactly what you have going on. It's not that you ever come from on high and say like, I have all of this worldly wisdom and you should listen to me. It's more, I know that I don't, that might be worth listening to. Let's just chat about it. And, and I really enjoy the way you bring that across. I know in uh, a podcast episode recently, and I'm just going to mention this because I forgot to mention it in the introduction. David is the motivational speaker on TikTok. He also runs the Daily Motivation podcast. So everybody now recognizes who we're talking about if they didn't already, because your content is awesome. And we've shared it a number of times 
on our Discord, but in one of your episodes recently, and it was called Seriousness and Identity, you were talking about the danger of taking yourself too seriously. And, and I understand that danger. I'm, I'm old. I've been doing this for a while. And I was talking about this long, long ago for egotistical reasons. I'm not going to lie. Until somebody came along and said, you know, there's a such thing as being heavenly minded, but no earthly good. And that really tore me down a notch. I'm like, oh, I don't like that. So I should listen and pay attention. And it worked for that reason. It, all of a sudden it became less about talking to people about unity and talking to people about spirituality and more about making that connection, more about being there with them wherever they were and finding that bridge. And that of course was informed by my, by my marriage and whatnot. More or less, I, I wanted to mention this because I feel that is the strength of your content. Your content is real and honest and authentic and you struggle to keep it that way. That's one thing I've noticed from video to video to video, you will actually catch yourself sometimes and go, I didn't like the way I sounded there. And you'll do a video about that. Like your most recent video, I think was actually about you catching yourself, you know, kind of coming across as being all knowing. You're like, eh, not really. And it's, that's, that's not how it's meant to come across, but it's important that people recognize you don't want it to come across that way. So I'm gonna pass this over to Andrew, but from my perspective, being old, I just wanted to say thank you. Cool, man. That's really cool. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, David, yeah, one of my favorite things about your content is the applicability. Like it is so damn applicable and every single video and it, it's so clear that it's coming through your raw experiences and expressed as that. And it's just, it's awesome to see, man, like how clearly you see it and how unwilling you are to try like in any way lead people to believe that. Like you're, you're so good about expressing that, especially through the podcast episodes I listen to. It's like, take all, like, don't believe any of it. These are just words. These are just sounds that I'm making. If they're helpful, cool, but don't attach to the thing, like utilize it to the degree that you can. And I think hearing about your sort of getting into content story, I resonate with that a lot because all my early stuff still to this day, it's like things that I wished I had known when I was 16. 15, 16, 17 years old. And, and that still is there, but it's sort of like a different, it, it keeps getting deeper and deeper. And, and the more I start to realize or, or the more clearly I see things, the more I understand that I, that I don't know as well. And there's this inclination, I think, in sorts of communities to begin to see yourself as, you know, a teacher or someone who knows things. And I think there's a lot of potential harm in that, honestly, because people latch on to those things. They latch on to the thing that is being said as opposed to the mentality that is being embodied. So I really appreciate your ability to express that over and over. And there was a video, I mean, I've been going through your stuff all, all week, but one of the ones I really liked and, and your ability to sort of dissect something like the Bruce Lee quote, be like, or try to be like water. And you're like, uh, hold on, but there's still that try. Don't don't necessarily try. Recognize that you're already water. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. Try implies resistance, implies that you're not already at that place. So it's not so much a getting to a place. It's it's the recognition that you're already there. So I really appreciate how how clearly you're able to express that. But it's always that that paradox of expressing things, but also being like that's a lot of stuff that might be helpful. Don't cling to that too much, like chew on it, 
see what you can do with it and, and apply it and then keep, and then let go of it and keep moving on with your life. And it's, so it's recognizing that mentality as opposed to latching on to any beliefs and concepts. So it's awesome. And, you know, that's what this, this podcast and our content's all about. I see a ton of similarities in our podcasts and our content. So I'm, I'm excited to, to chat with you today, man. Yeah. Almost like we're all the same person. Just wanted to say that quickly. Interesting. <laughs> Interestingly enough. So David, I do have a question for you because as I said, I've been on this path for a long time. I woke up about halfway through my life after about a decade of hell. So, so my story is weird in, in that way. And Andrew's got his own story of waking up, going through his own hell and whatnot. And we all do. Where did you come from? <laughs> uh, I mean, look, I, I become very sort of fond of like saying like, I'm mad basic. Like I, you know, I love keeping the stories. I think there's a tendency to sort of romanticize like your awakening story. Like I was lost in the desert and all of a sudden these, you know, stars came out of my asshole and you're like, yeah, okay. It was like an, it's second puberty. Like it's a puberty and it happens and it's probably going to happen to most people. Uh, and so for me, I like to joke that it's so basic. Like I'm, you know, I think we can all kind of, when we maybe take a, a different look at where we were, I was definitely incredibly sort of naturally attached. I would say I was somebody who was just like, man, you give me something and I'm going to attach to it. Maybe also unattached in other places, but I was someone who had a sort of deep sense of ego, a desire to kind of have everything under control, maybe a little anxiety, probably a lot. And um, I am an actor. So something that all artists, I think, at some point get the point they all get to is um, attaching your self-worth to your art, attaching your self-worth to the perception or the reception of your art. And so as an actor, <laughs> uh, if you're looking to uh, your job to be the thing that makes you worthy, you're fucked because it does not care. Like this, it's, it's like, <laughs> and so... I'd have these sort of high highs and then like get the freaking legs cut out from me. And I'd have these massive, massive lows. And at one point I had made, I had done the thing where like I quit my day job and I was like, Oh, made it. Nobody can talk to me. Like, seriously, give me the entourage. I was locked in. I was so fucking cool. And um, I noticed that I was super depressed. Like I did the thing. I was like, mom, we're cool. I'll be all right. And I was hella depressed and crazy, crazy, crazy depressed. And then from that, uh, just on very normal day, I, I, I um, had somebody reach out and offer me very kind of basic kindness. That was it. He was just like, yo, you know, you want to go to lunch? I was making up excuses about why I couldn't go to lunch. Uh, and then he's like, fine, fuck it. Let's go to dinner. I was like, fine. And he was asking me these like actor questions. Like he's like, yo, man, like, so I'm looking about ages and shit. And like, I probably look like the most depressed Squidward, like in the corner, just like, yeah, man, that sounds really great. So the rest of the whole time, he like spent it like talking to me and he like kind of bigging me up like, yo, like you're very, you know, this is what you got to do. You know, At the time, it meant everything. Looking back, you know, the, the advice was whatever it was. I think the sentiment behind it was like, you're good. You're going to be all right. And baby step, baby step, baby step. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then I just did the things. Uh, 
meditation. Uh, I got really dogmatic about things. Didn't even notice it was just something that kind of made sense because I didn't have time or the energy to do anything else. And then, you know, the awakening thing happens. There's kind of a pop. There is a, a substantial, I would say, paradigm shift at that point of, of which I think was um, if I would have had making content for myself, if I would have had context for what was happening to me, I may have skipped a lot of the shenanigans and pitfalls that I ran into. Uh, <laughs> just like the, the, you know, oh man, attaching to your sort of perceived experience of like wisdom. Oh man, let me tell you all the stuff that I know. Fuck me. Like, are you kidding? <laughs> I must've been insufferable. The challenge is that it's like, um, you're right. The fucked up thing is like, you're right about so much shit. And it's not that you're not right or wrong. It's just this is not the way you go about it. You're touting the sort of information that, the, that you have, that you've downloaded from the fucking universe. Shut up. And you've, you're turning it into like, look how great I am. Oh, the cleverness of me. Oh, let me go show me whatever. And uh, I guess maybe to bring it back, because you did mention your wife, to, to my wife's credit, she didn't give a shit about any of it. Like I would go to parties, like in the corner, like wowing people, like just tossing around topics that like I have never studied, but I'm like, this is how stocks work because you know, my awakening, fuck you. And my wife did not care. My wife couldn't care less. And so the cognitive dissonance of that was a real turning point in my journey because it was like, I think I noticed that I was looking to this new thing to be the thing that was going to validate me. Oh man, look how dope I am. This is going to make me happy. I'm going to be whole because of how smart people are going to be like, oh my God, come Oprah's going to call. <laughs> it's fucking dumb. And so uh, my wife was very humbling and she also almost, I guess, cosmic joke habitually is, um, she's more, naturally a person who I'd say would naturally lean to embodying things. She's not a talk about it person. She's a be about it chick. Like that's what she does. And so I could wax poetic about all this fucking philosophy. And she's like, I don't care. Do the dishes. And that was the most like transformative yogic shit for me. And so that's kind of where we are. <laughs> that is an idea. That's the real deal. I just want to say that right there, straight up your relationships, as Krishnamurti said, are where you see yourself without distortion, right? Marriage is an ongoing self-reflection lesson where you just continue to refine and work at yourself if, if you continue to grow. I think that's, that's the biggest thing. You don't have to question each other. You don't have to learn from each other in a relationship, but if you want the relationship to grow, if you want the relationship to change, if you want the relationship to reveal its potential, then both people have to be in, doing what they can to learn from the other and each other and themselves, right? It's important. I think that's great. You're off to a great start. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's, yeah. no, it's it's funny, like how often going through, you know, and in your path, like with most of our sort of, you know, journeys, as we call them, there, there's a lot of similarities across the board, like going in and out of clarity, getting caught up in things. And I find that like, looking back, there's a lot of shit I got caught up in, but it also informed me along the way. And I think there was an aspect of me, like, you know, getting caught up in the spiritual ego and all that sort of stuff. There was an aspect that, that looks back and is like, oh, I, I kind of 
wished I hadn't gotten so caught up in that or looking back at videos. But then I remember that like, it's important to have that stuff there. And I know people who have gone back, you know, after they've seen things a little bit more clearly and they've like deleted old videos and things like that. And I've never wanted to do that, even though some of the shit I said, like if, if someone goes back to my TikTok, like a year and a half, a year ago, you'd be like, dude, what the fuck? Like you, like if I was a politician or something running for like spiritual office, people would be like, gotcha, 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 gotcha. This is the exact opposite thing that you're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. But it's important to, to recognize that because that builds depth and that allows you to, you know, kind of see yourself in someone who's going through that and remember the mentality that you were in. And it's like, you felt good, but it wasn't quite you know, the freedom that you feel when you let go of all of the concepts and all of the beliefs. And so even right now, like there's still things that I hold on to, like we all do to a degree. And and there's often initially a hesitation and like a fear of, oh, there might be a consequence down there. I'm going to, I'm going to avoid that because I, I have a good feeling that there's going to be one, even though I don't know. And even though I don't know if me experiencing that is going to actually teach me more than not experiencing it and avoiding it. And so it's like always finding that balance, I guess, of being willing to take that leap while not getting too caught in it and not being like afraid of experiencing it, but then ha- also not being afraid of, of, or, or desiring to not experience it and avoid it. So mm-hmm. I'm curious in your state now, like, obviously you're peeling back a lot and it's, it's again, a moment to moment thing you mentioned before, like there's oftentimes a sort of pop, like a sort of feeling of clarity, but the reality is that it's, it's moment to moment. It's an everyday thing. We, we fluctuate in and out of clarity. So do you sometimes find yourself getting, getting caught in, you know, you've been through a lot of shit and, and you've kind of come out the other side and then moving forward, it's like, there's a hesitation because it's, it's such a, fine line of balance of, of pushing and setting goals and, and doing things in our society, you know, just the way our society is structured and then being willing to let go and be okay with, with whatever happens. So I'm curious just about, you know, your, your current sort of state of mind, or if there's things you're, you're even currently going through, uh, experiencing this sort of back and forth. I think, um, for me recently i've noticed and it's not just me but people i talk to like clients and stuff there's a sort of inadvertent attachment to the sort of pleasurable experience of feeling like you're in flow like we look quote unquote back on this period where things were just kind of popping from whatever to whatever to whatever you know, like <laughs> when things quote unquote feel easy. And I think that there's a tendency to sort of egoically pull that experience out like a piece of it and then turn it into pleasure and say, if I'm not doing that thing, I'm fucking up. And it's not technically <laughs> an incorrect assumption, but the issue is. The reason you were there was because you weren't worried about fucking up. Like you were saying yes to the idea, like, oh, yeah, like I'm I'm quote unquote out of sync, whatever the fuck. No, you're not out of sync. You're just where you are. Boom. 
right? I'm I'm off of the the concept that any of this is correct. And so for me, um, remembering that the pleasure is equally as a big of a trap as running from the suffering, like chasing the pleasure of that. Oh, you know, um, it creates this sort of weird lens when you're in li- a judgmental lens, right? I'm now judging the entirety of my life based on this metric in my head of, oh, am I experiencing pleasure right now? I must be doing it right, which that keeps you in a sort of weird ass egoic loop, constantly chasing that pleasure and judging yourself. Cause you're like, well, I'm experiencing pain right now. I must be bad spiritual. Am I bad spiritual right now? Like that's what the fuck we, we do to ourselves. And so, you know, meeting yourself where you're at, I think is such a fucking game changer. Like, yo, right here is cool. Uh, I've also been studying uh alexander technique uh a lot i don't know if you guys have messed with it at all but i think it's it's so cool because i think a lot of the time for me i can get caught up in the content of my thinking like the judgment will come down about the situation i'm in in my life and the content of that can turn into a thing uh a lot of what this course and courses and things have been pointing to is feeling that sort of attachment or when your attention sort of collapses onto a thought oh man i'm a piece of shit oh this is a terrible situation whatever when your attention collapses like that to simply uh kind of expand your awareness back out almost instantly and include that sort of experience in it like i'm saying yes to this i'm not saying yes or no i'm just like okay this is a thing and i'm also going to sort of expand my awareness and keep that there and for me Keeping that away from the idea of the content has been so revolutionary. Like, I'm not, I'm not getting into it with you, trying to figure out, like, oh, you know, well, maybe, maybe I am a piece of shit. I don't know. Like, what's what? What are your thoughts? You know, tell me. And it's like, okay, I got a PowerPoint behind me. And you remember when you didn't call that person back? Like, garbage, right? You're a terrible fucking person. Like, oh man, I don't know. Maybe fuck the content. I'm here, right? It. It's not like if the content was fundamentally true, I wouldn't be able to see it. I'm not negating it. If there's something useful in there that I need to see, okay, cool. I'm just looking at it from a perspective that's not polarized because I'm not collapsed onto the concept as if it's who I am. And so I already have a different level of perspective if I do want to engage with that thought. And so that's what I've been kind of exploring lately. Brilliant. That's fantastic. Actually, that's a conversation we were just having in our community discord a few days ago. Somebody was asking, well, is it that you're quieting your mind? And I was trying to to explain, it's not necessarily that you're quieting your mind because your mind has a lot to do. There's a lot that it's processing. It's just that you're not interfering with it. You're, You're not getting involved. Every time there's something that's being processed, like somehow you being in there is going to make it process better because all it does is it makes three different thoughts instead of one stream. You're immediately blocking the flow. And so now everything gets distorted and complicated and you get lost in that mess. Whereas if you just relax and go, right, right. My brain's doing that thing where it's convincing me it's thinking about me, but it's not. It's thinking about a concept of me, which is never me. Then all of a sudden you can relax and let the process happen. Then boom, almost instantaneously, there's an insight and you go, I was doing it again. 
and there's no judgment though. It's more of like absent-mindedness. I really do try to treat it like I've lost my keys temporarily, right? Nothing that I'm gonna beat myself up for, more or less is just like, there it is again. You know, <laughs> I got caught not paying attention and it's not a big deal and I move on with my life. But I, I find that's a huge part of it is understanding that the thing my brain is trying to process isn't me. And then just let it do its thing and go on with my life and let it inform my decisions. It's kind of like um, my daughter, she's homeschooled. I have a 15 year old daughter and she's getting out of the habit now. But at first what she would do is if she didn't get an answer correct, she would judge herself. I'm stupid. I don't know enough. That's not helping you. I explained it to her. I'm like, if you're doing that, that's the problem. Let's go talk about that. Get that thought out of your head and then go back to the problem. And every time we do that, boom, the, pro the problem is no longer an issue because she's not in the way. She's not thinking about herself. And so all of a sudden her brain is actually able to process what's in front of it without having to split its attention into two different directions. Like the archer from uh, the Tao Te Ching, right? If you're focused on the goal and the prize, your attention's half split or you can't chase two rabbits at once. It's the same focus, but we get so split. We get so involved with everything our brain produces. And of course we do. It's the definition of real. It's literally reality to us. And so it's absolutely believable, but that's the trick is not believing it, not taking it as fa at face value, but we do because that false certainty is so, so tempting. We just want to feel like we know, you know, and that's, that's one thing I really enjoy about your content, David, is that you, you stress this over and over again. I don't know. I don't know. None of us know because self-knowledge is not conceptual. If we can understand that, then it's a totally different game. Yeah. Yeah. The, the whole idea of thinking that our assumptions are the truth. Like that's what I see a lot in a lot of your stuff. Obviously we talk about it a lot is, is the desire and it, it falls into certainty and, and that desire for certainty that, you know, we make these assumptions about, you know, ourselves or a situation or anything. And it's like, from there, there's all of these things that that stem from that. And, and one of the biggest assumptions we make is that we can even know ourselves and this whole idea of of knowing things and, and being certain about them and and known. And this, again, is something Krishnamurti talks about. And it, I'm reading one of his books right now. It's so like, I've just been chewing on this whole idea of known. It's his book, Freedom from the Known, and how the known is all rooted in the past. Like you can't know reality because reality isn't the past like the past is just a story it's just concepts it's just ideas always here and now can't actually be known and you in the here and now and the situation you're experiencing or, or you know the feelings that you're feeling or, or the assumptions that you're making are all rooted in that whole idea of the past and so being able to let go of those assumptions and relax into that uncertainty is such such a powerful recognition and so with that like along your path uh david with you know assumptions and being able to let go like was that sort of an aspect of you beginning to you know meditate and, and seeing your thoughts as not necessarily yours being able to let go of those assumptions and and with that even you know maybe to go a little bit deeper when it comes to the idea of you oftentimes with people who begin to get into spirituality, like that's the last thing to go. Like they, most people don't, aren't willing to let go of the idea of themselves as being this, you know, spiritual superiority 
complex and and coming down from on high, looking down at everyone else. Like I understand all this stuff, me, 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 me. And it's like, that is the key that no one wants to talk about is the ability to let go of the idea of you, because the idea of you is rooted in assumptions. It's always rooted in, in the known in the past. So like to really be free, you have to let go even of that idea of you. So I'm curious, like along you know, we're always sort of like going back and forth with these things, but with even the idea of David, and I know you mentioned you're an actor. So sometimes, you know, Jim Carrey comes to mind with that. I think that was a big process of his, you know, sort of awakening is recognizing that, oh, you know, Jim Carrey is just a character that he, like any other character that he ever played. Like, how is your relationship with, with the idea of David sort of shifted with all of this and, and where do you stand with it sort of right now? Oh my gosh. Shout out to Jim Carrey. Oh my gosh. Jim Carrey goaded, man. Like freaking watching that in real time is like, <laughs> feels very much like I get very douchey about it. Like, I feel like I'm watching the band, like before everybody knows, like the band is lit. I'm like, you guys, Jim Carrey is, he's really crushing it. guys. Yeah, you guys don't even know. Like when you fucking, when you get to Jim Carrey, like mm, when you guys get there, you'll see. Um, <laughs> I love that you brought up meditation because uh, I think inadvertently and I because and I, I don't think that this is necessarily stressed enough in the sort of spiritual community, specifically in the sort of new age religious circles. Um, meditation, the importance of meditation when it comes to any of this, I don't think can be like underplayed or overplayed. Like you can't say enough about so much of the you know, we talked about noticing your thoughts, so much of the muscle that's being worked in that is literally noticing when you are lost in thought. This is meditation, right? This is dream yoga. This is, and so to think that, you know, training that constantly, I mean, that, that has to be the prior, a priority. Um, just, I, I can't say enough great things about that. And I, Looking back, you know, Monday morning quarterback, yeah, probably meditation had a massive role in, in any of this stuff. I will say as far as clarity goes in a very sort of uh, maybe it's always like this. Um, I think I'm really attached to the idea of um, insight. Like I could tell my ego really liked that. It loved the fucking epiphany shit. Like it was like, mm, give me more. Like, I just want to know. I want to know. I want to know. And so I'd be in these weird states where I'd be like, oh, I feel like I got it. And then I'd be like, oh man, I feel like I lost it. Oh man, I feel like I got it. Oh man, I feel like I lost it. And oddly enough, <laughs> that sort of back and forth for me was so kind of infuriating that it kind of created a pop where uh, I remember I was actually, I remember the highway I was driving on. I was like on the 405 and I had this moment where I was like, it's always there. The information's always there. It's always there all the fucking time. I'm not going anywhere to get it. And so immediately it was like this elation, like, oh my God, it's all there. But then also it immediately became passe. Like, oh yeah, well, I guess it's, it's not that special. Like, it's not that <laughs> It's not that cool. It's like, yeah, you fucking secrets of the universe. You did it. Yeah, yeah, shut up. Like nobody cares. And I think that that was incredibly humbling for me, especially just have the ego immediately decimated. Um, 
in that regard. And I will say uh, to kind of dovetail into the other question aspect of the question, which was the idea of me started to change. Something I'll talk about a lot on the podcast and the Patreon is this idea of being nostalgic about yourself. I don't think we give enough credit to the idea that like, man, like I miss me. Like you spent so much fucking time. You drove your parents crazy. Like you did so much crazy shit, like in your, your teens trying to establish, like, this is who I am. I'm on the, I'm a scene kid. I'm a this kind of person. I'm a that kind of person. Like you did so much work on that shit. And for somebody to be like, all right, bud, drop it. It's like, fuck, man, for real though? Like I put in work for this thing. Do you know how many personalities I can click into in any given conversation? Come on, bro. You want me to get out? Fuck out of here, man. I'm not doing that. This is hot. Also, I'm super spiritual and smart, smart now. You want me to get that shit up to? Fuck out of here. Absolutely not. I am nice. Look at me. <laughs> oh, the cleverness of me is one of my favorite lines uh, from Peter Pan because I think it's it encapsulates the desire to stay in that sort of state of sort of egoic spiritual obsession. Like, look at me. Look what I know. And so uh, letting go of the idea that I could know anything and beginning to sort of release the sort of ideas that I had about myself was just, I mean, you start seeing the stories you tell yourself about what you can and can't do in so many aspects of your life. Like if you really slow it down, it's like, oh man, I can't do this. I'm not good with money. Whoa, that's a fucking story. Who was that? Like, where did that come from? Oh, I can't do this. I'm not that kind of person. We have an entire psychological self that we just carry around in our fucking back pocket and then pull it out and say, this is who I can and can't be in any given moment. And it's like, bro, what if you didn't know? Like, that could be true. You could just be an awful piece. Of shit. But like, what if you're not? What if you're not? And so for me, man, beginning to sort of let go of that also let me start to let go of you know, who I thought I was in so many other areas of my life and realizing that the ego does this thing where it can't conceptualize anything outside of its sort of self. So the, the, the psychological ego wants to hold on to what it thinks it is so hard that if it's like, if, you, if you're like, hey, man, I'm going to just drop this kind of rigid holding for a while, it can't conceptualize that. I mean, we're just not going to think. You're just not going to exist anymore. What are you going to do? Hmm? You need me, bud. Good luck. All right. You're going to be nothing. Oh, that's cute. Like, fuck you. No. Like, and, and the example I like to give people is like, just because you're not thinking about all the steps that you're doing when you're driving a car doesn't mean you all of a sudden forget how to drive a fucking car. You just get in the car and drive. The belief in who you thought you were was so important for so many of us for so long because we didn't have the life experience to necessarily uh, point us in the right direction. I got to take it on belief that mommy uh, says that if I touch this, then I'll die. I got to take it on belief that if like I run into a car, like so much of our constructed identity is based in that egoic belief. But you have the life experience now. We're grown. You're listening to this podcast. Please be grown. Like now I don't have to constantly, consciously, constantly be thinking my way through my life or reaffirming my identity of who I am in every single moment of my life. Now I can just 
drive the fucking car, trust that I have the life experience and that if I do need to slow it down and really think about something that I will, because I promise you, you will. Beautiful. I don't know if you have ever run across a book called Power Versus Force by David Hawkins. If you ever get a chance, I definitely recommend it because what he did through kinesiological testing, muscle testing basically was just to ask the body a bunch of yes or no questions over tens of thousands of people. And from those answers created a scale of consciousness. Where's anger? Where's fear? Where's joy? Where's courage? That kind of thing. And, and what he talks about, and I find this very interesting is that in the same way you were talking about those pops, those moments, one of the major turning points is courage, where all of a sudden you're not doing things for your ego. You're not doing it for the carrot. You're not doing it to avoid the stick. You're doing it because that's what life is. Life is me moving forward. That's pretty much it. And so you come to this point of acceptance. And that brings you a stage of peace, but you're still processing things. And then the next turning point, which is way down the road, uh, and I say down the road, that doesn't mean anything, obviously, but is reason. Reason is the next sticking point. It's so hard to get over being intelligent. It's so hard to get over the feeling like, yeah, I'm finally understanding this not recognizing that the illusion of eyes at the root of that. And it's the reason that so many people don't get past it. We end up avoiding or, or not moving on to joy and acceptance and love, which is our, are the next states because we're still focused on ourselves. And I found that to be really difficult for myself because as you said, you know, you get to this point where you realize you're processing things faster, you're understanding things faster, you have a state of clarity where somebody brings a problem to you And because you're not thinking about yourself as much, all of a sudden you're on it. You're like, yeah, I get that. No problem whatsoever. And it's very difficult when you've been taught to think about yourself to not take that as a sign of your value, to not take that as a sign like, yeah, this is me. I'm doing better now. When in reality, you're just getting out of your own way. You've always had that potential. Nothing has changed whatsoever, except again, the distortion that you've been perpetuating. But a large part of that is our environment. Not going to lie, we were raised by a bunch of egotistical children for the most part. And it's because our world really does cater to that mentality. Our world does not want people not being needy because that wouldn't drive the economy. That wouldn't drive capitalism. That wouldn't drive the machine as it is right now. We need people being needy. We need people wanting a leader. We need people to think about themselves because our economy is entirely selfish. So given all that, and and again, you know, not asking you to provide any solutions because there are none. This is all just process as it's happening. We are, are, we are all part of a changing mentality, but dealing with your one-on-one clients, when they talk to you about the world, about Elon Musk, who I know you have opinions about, or they talk to you about the government, or they talk to you about what's happening in the, in the economy or in Ukraine and Russia, or they talk to you about God knows what, let's just talk about corruption and the system as a whole, what is your go-to there? Because I always try to focus people back on the change that they are. I always try to focus them back on the recognition that whatever we assume about the story is just an assumption. We don't actually know, but we can disempower ourselves very easily by believing these people have absolute control. And that, that can help to some degree, but it is a very common problem for, for obvious reasons. So I'm curious, how do you tackle that when somebody brings that to you, when they're feeling defeated and in despair because the world feels separate and that it doesn't know they're here. This is such a troll. Astrology, honestly, is what I do. I uh, I pull the charts out and I'm like, all right, folks, I'm going to show you what's... <laughs> Flip that shit. Um, 
honestly, first of all, I will say when I do look at the state of the world, um, astrology does bring me a, a, a quite a bit of peace. Only <laughs> this is so funny. I don't know if you guys have done any study on like the yugic cycles, the 26,000 year calendar, essentially based on the procession of the equinox. Something that I always like to remember is that the state of the world right now was predicted and predictable. I'm always like, hey, guys, it's winter, not from the sense of like, oh, you know, um, we should <laughs> we're going to go forward or whatever, but simply to take the sort of obsession about, you know, we're living in the worst times of the world. What are we going to do? Like to kind of pull back on the sort of doom and weird. It's like, no, it's cold outside right now because it was always going to be cold outside. We can blame capitalism and patriarchy and whatever, but honestly, we're just basic. And that's where we are in the universe right now. I think that's interesting. Uh, I don't do that though. That's, that's not, that is by no means my go-to. I'm just talking shit. Um, my go-to, honestly, I think something that we all almost immediately sort of gravitate to specifically on our spiritual journeys is this sort of self-righteous idealism in the beginning of your journey. There's this like religious zeal that you have about like, I know the right way. Don't nobody know the right way, but me, let me just tell you, I got all the answers. And I think a part of that is sort of our ego trying to reestablish itself after it's gotten essentially decimated. It's like, oh, I just got to grab onto something. I know that it's going to be this. And so I think usually in that space, a lot of the time we become, instead of being so sort of outwardly focused, which it was just, you know, all about fixing the system and fixing that, that when people's egos spiritually sort of whatever, that's when we get into the sort of problematic, really individualistic, like if you just go in the corner and meditate, uh, your spirit guides will come down and the world will change and you'll end up on glue dark or whatever the fuck. And you'll be in the ninth dimension and then everything will be okay. Like that's the kind of weird shit that happens when the ego tries to reestablish itself when it's, there's nothing steady there. And so it's so polarized and we don't necessarily see it. What I'm constantly sort of pointing out to myself and to people who I work with is first and foremost, where's your practice? Dear God, I don't care. Like I just, it's so interesting. If you, we've all had these moments of like feeling like, oh man, I'm just like a garbage person. Go for a run. And then you come back and you're like, oh yeah, I'll just, I probably just need to get some running that was easy like fuck that's that's such a weirdly simple thing but it's like your perspective on what you should and shouldn't be doing in life is being colored by the same energy that was like all twisted and weird and fucked so the first thing i'm like yo what's your day like take me through it be precise seriously and not to be like oh you need these practices but like if we aren't we live in a digital society that allows, that is essentially a mirror of our thinking processes outside. If we want to, we can go from 
screen to screen to screen to screen to screen. I can take this motherfucker in my bathroom. I was in my hot tub today with my phone. Like I can screen to screen to screen. I, I do not need contact with the outside world. I can literally live on my screen. I can do that inside too. Thought to 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 thought. If I'm not taking care to not constantly do that inside and outside, and then I'm like, well, what should I do about the world? Please don't answer. Do not come up with your fucking idea. You literally have not taken a breath in 48 hours. That was longer than what the fuck? No, don't. No, you don't have an answer that I want to listen to, bud. Sorry. As you shouldn't, what's your practice like? First question. And then after that, it's like, I think that being the, the main thing for people handles 99.9% of the indecision because now you're spending time in that space where you do not know. It's like your ego wants to churn on this thing. All right, what should I do about uh, the war in the Ukraine? What am I called to do? What makes sense for me? If I'm just going to jump back into my unconscious programming and do what the fuck I think I'm supposed to do, I'm going to do the same old bullshit. I, you know, I'm going to donate to Goob Goop's charity on Instagram and feel good about myself and then be angry. Like, cool, you did it. Or if I'm off myself, in that moment, right? If I'm not trying to like redo the thing and ask myself, is this something I actually give a shit about? Yeah, okay, I do, right? What can I do that makes sense for me? Not based on somebody else's shit or what I think I'm supposed to do or what I think it would look good. Like, no, what, what makes sense for me? I think that becomes infinitely more accessible the more present you are with your life. And it's obvious too, which is the best shit about it. It's literally like a path appears in front of you that you didn't even ask for. You're just like, oh, I just ran into like Stacy at Starbucks one day and she had a nonprofit about this thing that I just happened to give a shit about. I know we romanticize that manifestation shit, but that shit just happened. That's just, it works that way when you aren't in your own way. So yeah, I, I'm not one of those absolutist weirdos who's like, oh, fucking, you know, just gotta... I don't know. Should you go to war? Oh, no, guys. Like, it's not very spiritual of you to fight people. Fuck that. No, dude. Like, there's no right answer. But maybe trying to figure that answer out from a space of clarity is always maybe going to be the better, better idea. So that's what I try to focus on. That was an awesome answer. I just, I'm going to pass this over to Andrew, but I wanted to make a recommendation quickly because I don't know if you've ever had a chance to read it, but I know that you would appreciate it based on everything that you just said. There was a speech that Krishnamurti gave in 1985, a year before he died, to the United Nations, where he is actually talking to them about the problem, which isn't the world around us. It's the mentality that we're, that we're trying to deal with it from. It's a beautiful speech, and I have no doubt that you will enjoy the shit out of it. So I just wanted to mention that very quickly because I love what, JK. I can't oh, yeah. I can't believe I haven't seen this. I'm so excited. You'll enjoy it for sure. I'll pass it back to Andrew now. Yeah, no, you're, you're going to love it, man. It is. It is powerful. It's like that dude is a savage. Oh, it is awesome. I get fired up like reading through it. I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah, he is not fucking around. It is. It is cool because. Yeah, like people, people don't want to see themselves as the world. And I think that is a lot of what the fundamental 
issues come down to. And, and so we get caught up in, in our assumptions and, and needing to do something. And the only reason we want to do something really that most people don't want to admit is to make ourselves feel better. Like we don't feel good. So I want to feel like, you know, I want to donate to that thing or like, you know, write a little post and be like, I disagree with this. And anyone who agrees with it is a fucking asshole. And it's like, then you feel better, but it's all because of, because of you. And it's like, it's almost a balance too. And we've talked about this a couple of times, like taking back the word selfishness, like people aren't selfish enough because we're all trying to be something for the world. And because of that, we're distorted. We're not seeing things from a place of clarity. We're not seeing things from a state of, you know, acceptance of, of uncertainty of relaxing into the recognition that I don't know. Okay. I don't know. And, and starting there and then like, okay, here's some options. Here's some, some potential things. And then being able to relax into that and then see that you literally are reality. Like you are your state of being right now is as impactful to reality as any grand situation that's happening. Any, you know, plug in current crazy situation going on in the world, like your state of being is just as important to reality as that thing shifting. So as we get caught up in being afraid of, you know, whatever situation is going on, being angry at, at the other side of the aisle and all of that shit, like we're adding anger to reality because we are embodying anger. We are adding it to reality. We are making reality more angry or we, we are making reality more afraid. And that's a recognition that I don't think people make often enough. It, it's rare for people to make that recognition, I guess, but it's very powerful because all of a sudden, like there isn't so much need to go outside of yourself and every single moment you're able to practice it to literally change the world. Like we get caught up in the grand ideas of changing the world. And it's like, the only thing you ever have to do to change the world is change yourself because you are the world. And there's so much gravity in that recognition of taking back selfishness and, and recognizing that the only thing you ever have to do is change yourself. So a lot of times just to, you know, give my two cents when, cause we all do coaching stuff. And when people come to me with that, like, this is where I like to focus is the recognition that you're it here and now. So as much as, you know, you want to go and change that thing, it's like, it's easier to try and change that thing, but it's going to have significantly less of an impact because you're just, you know, the state that you're embodying is what has the impact always your mentality is what has the impact. It's not your egoic idea of the actions that you take or the thing that you did that made, you know, your idea of yourself feel morally superior. It's the the embodiment of, you know, the mentality that you're in. So recognizing that all of a sudden takes a lot of that weight of the world off and allows you to actually see things with a little bit more clarity and start to make shifts and make actual ripples as opposed to just like, you know, running around like a chicken with your head cut off sort of. Yeah, this is true. You need to just get away and understand the impact that you're having already before you start going out there and trying to find an impact to make, right? Um, so speaking of embodiment, this was a part of my journey early on. I'm good at talking about this stuff. As you may have noticed, I have a gift for gab and, and no shortage of things to say. And so when I first woke up, I was really working at it. I went and lived out in the rainforest for like eight months and really worked on myself and then came back into the world like, all right, let's influence the machine. 
and, and the and the machine turned its eye on me and went we don't want to change and, and everything kind of went to shit after that and so i went hmm maybe it's not the words maybe it's not the message and and, and so i decided to get off of youtube i closed down my account and i just focused on being husband and dad for about 10 years i, I just completely disconnected from the world and stopped telling anybody about anything. And I just focused on myself, focused on my relationships, focused on trying to listen to people rather than constantly be trying to fix them. It worked on, on listening to people working through their own shit, even though they're asking me for an answer. They're not really, they're really just digging for their own. They're, they're asking like, do you have an answer? Because that'll make the journey quicker, but in not giving one and just accepting like I may, but it may not be the right answer for you. You're, you're helping them to process. And so there was a lot of getting myself out of the way. I had to just stop trying to be anything. I stopped, I had to stop trying to get anywhere. I had to give up on the idea that the world needed saving or that there was anything to fix, right? That everything is just what it is and will be forever because that is ultimately the insight at the end of the day, we're eternal. None of this is going anywhere. All that we're experiencing right now is a reflection among many infinite reflections of what the world could possibly be. And we're always going from one spectrum of the, to the other in terms of balance. And so it really is just about being there and not taking it too seriously. And, and that's the easiest thing is just keeping it light and being grounded. And that's all you have to do. There's nothing else. There is nothing else to it because anything you do above and beyond that just adds to the distortion. It adds to you trying to get somewhere, right? And so it was, it was a big deal for me to take that time and get away, just to focus on my life and focus on, on, on being in my life rather than trying to make my life change the world. And oddly enough, 20 years later, here we are, the podcast is growing more and more people like you and Andrew are out there having this conversation. And 20 years ago, nobody was around. I tried to find you. You weren't there, man. And everybody that was there was throwing fruit or they're pissed. And, and so I just stuck to myself. But now you guys are popping out of the woodwork like you're everywhere and why why because it was always in process it was already happening i was a part of that process thinking i gotta drive it but it was part of me i was a part of it there was no separation whatsoever and so it really just comes down to faith but not faith in something because that's not faith and this is something that we talk about all the time and i'm going to take a hard left turn here because i know we only have a certain amount of time christianity I want to talk about Christianity because I know you have a background with Christianity and a couple other religions. I know you've talked about different spiritual practices and whatnot. I like everything about the story of, of Yeshua or Jesus, except what everybody's done with it in general. What's your perspective of the Jesus story? Because I know you talked about this on your channel, but for you specifically, personally, individually, what do you get out of that story the most at this point in your journey? Shout out to Jesus. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, golly. Somebody's actually <laughs> literally in my comments right now. Um, just not okay with my opinion about this. <laughs> so, I mean, somebody will always be in my comments not okay with my opinion about something. Let's be honest. You get over that really quickly. Um, man. I'm so long-winded. My journey in spirituality uh, for, for Christianity is one that I think a lot of people can resonate with because I came up in the church and I was not, my wife is the opposite of me. God bless her. I think she's so cool. She's just like, she was never, she's like, this is not it, David. I don't know what this church is doing. 
this is insane. Like, you know, so when her growing up was very different than me, uh, I was deep in the church. I loved it. It was my favorite place to be. Uh, I, I bought in, I bought in hard and I was really, I could always sense the, the, the underlying truth with it, but I think I would always have this sort of cognitive dissonance of like, what I'm seeing doesn't seem to match what I'm reading. It doesn't seem to match the energy that's underneath these, these words. And so I kind of, I had like a soft exit from the church. <laughs> like, uh, like, I was like, I, right. I was like, I fuck with this, but I don't know if I fuck with y'all. Just kind of leaning back like Homer into the fucking trees or whatever. Legit, like I'm gone, like I'm cool, kind of. And so I think I would say for a while, someone, some philosopher would uh, describe me as agnostic. Uh, and but I, I wouldn't say that. I just I knew there was something there. And literally kind of on one of the first bigger awakenings I had, my mind immediately went back to Christianity because it was all there. I went to like a private Christian school. And so my the, the ego immediately was like like the the blocks fell in place within the context of that in a way that like, whoa, y'all, it felt like I just, I was like, yo, you guys hear me out. This story is lit. Like the whole thing is fantastic. Uh, from, from tip to tail, it's, it's proper genius. And even in its most bastardized form, even when you change God from an open concept to the word God, which is dear God, fuck me. Like, the 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 psychological toll that you that has been taken when you take God's name from Yahweh, an open fucking concept or Elohim, and you shrink it to the word God cannot be overstated. It legitimately decimates it because it, it creates it turns God from being a lived open experience that you can't grasp, touch, taste, whatever to a thing out there. I think Andrew has called it Sky Daddy, which I think is fucking hilarious. Like it turns it into Sky Daddy instantly. It's like, boom, because it's God. It's this thing. And so when it comes to when it came to that, I man, I got so interested. And I think one of the biggest awarenesses for me was I don't know about you, but I, I, I've. This woman, Carolyn Miss, uh, new age community she does like intuitive healing she has a description in a video on like her own something she was doing where she says it felt like at one point there was like a cog that i placed in the machine and then the entire thing turned on and at this particular moment in my awakening it was like all of the religions of the world turned on in real time into one thing and it all like locked in and i was like oh I could see where they were pointing and how they were all pointing it in different ways. And I was like, oh, okay, this is all great, man, because it, it opened that, it opened Christianity back up to me, but it also, it gave me an interest in all these other systems mainly so I could be like, hey, okay, so <laughs> Vedanta, no self, all right, cool, kingdom of heaven, right? Okay, uh, 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 you know what I mean? Atman. Gotcha, right? We're going here. Ain Sof, Elohim, we're cool. Like all of that was the most interesting bit for me. And so the story of Jesus, what I get from that now is um presence. The 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 story. The awakening 
into man the story of jesus starts with that that baptism of john the baptist it's it's a lot of cool things but first the baptism of john the baptist is one of the greatest explanations of a spiritual awakening that you could ever fucking have it's so pitch perfect uh the, the spirit descends in the form of a dove i went to venice uh venice i went to uh the vatican this year for my for my honeymoon and there's so much imagery of this sort of dove descending uh and i'm like if this isn't the most exacting kind of experience articulated artistically and so the awakening of christ so much of the story of christ for me is is twofold a the the sort of awareness of okay presence is the only fucking thing right the ego of us has to die so that we are resurrected in the present moment this is this is the story of christ uh, that's cool but also the sort of story of how your awakening proceeds after that uh, i don't know if you guys have read adi ashanti's resurrecting jesus fantastic book and he points out how the story of jesus um is also your awakening journey going from this sort of uh egotist still sort of spiritually egotistical state and how you travel into it and he has this beautiful passage when he talks about the transfiguration of christ when he says when christ goes up on the mountain at this point in his journey he's already done the healing stuff he's done some other stuff he goes up and he he has this teaching and he has a stuff he has things that he wants to do and he gets to the top of this mountain and he takes these two disciples up there with him <laughs> and he gets to the top and during the transfiguration and elijah and moses or whatever come down and he has this like crazy vision and the other one of the dudes is like all right i'm gonna pitch a tent i'm gonna i'm gonna go over here and just chill y'all keep talking i'm gonna go do a tent right here and you're like oh, jesus like you're missing the point here bud and after christ comes down from that what Adi Ashanti points out really well in this book is this, he's like, Christ understands implicitly that his mission is to live his life. Like his experience of being is the teaching. Who I am now is the fucking teaching. And then he goes on to embody that literally by allowing that egoic identity of who he is to die. I always point out the Garden of Gethsemane for me as the experience of allowing yourself to be present in the moment. Dear God, because it seems like <laughs> the, the sort of we talked about earlier about the, the um, nostalgia of, of your ego, the missing of it, like the idea of letting go of all of the ideas of who I've had about who I am in this moment. For real, you mean let go of all that? God. If anybody else could do, can you take this cup from me? That would be great. I do not want to die. That's what your ego is doing in real time. And the best, the most important part about the Christ story for me is not that he was killed or crucified. It's that he gives up the ghost. That is, that's the whole thing because it has to be a releasing of your sort of egoic identification. Like it's a complete release. And in that, you're like, oh, you're resurrected in the kingdom of heaven, nirvana, samadhi, mokta, uh, moksha, like literally so many things. And the fact that that story is a living embodiment of that. And I will say, um, way too long-winded. Um, 
the thing that made that kind of come home for me in a way that it felt really actionable and transformative was the fact that that presence that Christ is pointing to, embodying that naturally, naturally creates a oneness with everything, right? The golden rule is to love your neighbor as yourself. What's the greatest commandment? Do this. When everything is yourself because you're not holding on to your identity of what you think you're supposed to be, the golden rule is natural. I'm compassionate about everything in my experience because it's all fucking me. The reactions I want to have in this moment, I have somebody says something I didn't like, and I, and I notice this reaction. Oh, gosh, okay. This isn't who I am. I allow this past conception of myself to die. I trust that I don't know what it's going to be like in the future. I just know that I'm enough and I give up the ghost in that moment. I don't know. I'm going to show up in this moment and in this moment and in this moment. And so for me, man, the Christ story is, is, is goaded because I can be like, that's your therapist. No therapist will tell you it's a bad idea to not be reactive in your life. Not a single one. And I don't got to like, you don't got to believe it love that it's not it's not about belief how much more careful are you in your life when you aren't wrapped up in your thought activity do you do do we got to fight about that or is that just do we oh yeah no it would be great if i wasn't constantly running from my idea of who i thought that i was right then let it die granted the death thing is rough but you know that's true but it's funny because that that makes a lot of sense given the classic line that I was taught being a Roman Catholic when he was on the cross was forgive them for they know not what they do. Um, apparently that's a mistranslation. What the original line was for this, I was spared. So it makes sense. All of a sudden he's like, ah, this is what it was about. Right? There was no forgive them. There was none of that looking down on anybody. There was no judgment. It was just like, ah, this is what makes sense. And, and that, that resonated with me. Another thing that, that caught me and we had this conversation uh, a little bit, earlier in season three with uh, Cameron Rosen, we were talking about the word belief because Jesus often says, you know, believe in God. And, and that always bothered me because the way I was taught belief was accept without question, which didn't make any sense with the whole get rid of your ego thing that Jesus is obviously talking about. But turns out in the 15th century, the word believe was redefined to accept without question, whereas before it was just love. It was just care for. So Jesus was just saying, care for God, care for your neighbor. Right? He wasn't ever saying, except without question, belief didn't mean that when he was using that word. So I'm going to pass this over to Andrew, but I just thought that was incredibly interesting. Fuck and yeah. I love your take on Jesus. That's so hot to me, bro. Thank you. Yes, exactly that belief. Oh my gosh, belief. Man, that's rough. That's a, that's a hard one to let go, man. I get it, bro. I totally get it. And I know we've all like, I think the spiritual community, and this is, is not, this is a Western thing too, is we're so sort of head, head heavy, head heart heavy, egoically heavy on the, in the West that the idea that I believe something is carries more weight than the embodiment of that thing, right? We're taught that's what education is. Like, oh, you can you repeat it? Okay, you did it. You're so smart. Meanwhile, fucking, uh, I used this example last night on the live. Um, what movie is that goodwill hunting when the guy's like when he's like how do you like them apples or whatever he's like yo you, you bro you you're not saying anything you're just going from 
somebody else's concept to somebody else's concept to somebody else's concept to somebody else's concept. Do you have an original thought in your own mind? But we're taught that just regurgitating those things, that's correct. And so a lot of the time, spiritually, our ability to articulate, which I know you fucking get. I know you get that shit right. Like, because I can articulate it. I must be, I'm, I'm the Messiah shit. I guess I'm Jesus. You're welcome. Like, uh, it's that shit. It's, it can be really challenging to go. "Mm -mm, That's not it. So I'm so inspired by your awareness of being like, I'm gonna just put this down and go be a husband and a dad and a human. All the people in my life who, you know, hook or by crook, uh, that I really gravitate to that I think are just the, my gurus are the ones who don't give a shit about any of this, but also prioritize living your life. What's your life like? What, what, I don't care. Let me tell you about the secrets of the what's your what, what are you living an inter- interesting life? On a daily basis, because I don't give a shit that you can talk to me about all 38 gajillion dimensions upside down whatever the fuck like how are the people in your life are you know yeah that's the most kind of important aspects of it a a fucking men yeah the application the embodiment above all else the conversation is fun the words are nice the ability to talk about this stuff is great but like where are you at what are you going through? And and we oftentimes like compartmentalize how, like what our life is because, you know, we can, we can chat about this stuff and it's like, I, I know what to say. And it's like, yeah, but there's, there's the difference there between knowing and actually applying it. And I think it's funny, you sort of touched on this, but with the desire, because we're so, you know, head heavy, ego heavy, that if we just believe something like that counts for it and it's so funny because i know some very religious people like hardcore like christian maybe baptist something along those lines and they believe that all they have to do if they accept jesus as their lord and savior they're going to heaven and like that's it like what the fuck so they are some of the most bigoted like racist like fucked up people because all they have to do is like, well, I believe Jesus is my Lord and Savior. It's like, what the fuck, man? Yo, do you even that, listen to anything? That never, like, that, that's the thing that fucking got me. If there was one thing that got me, it was that silliness. <laughs> I'm just, I feel like I was always on the floor. Like, hey, guys, all right. Like, I don't know. I've, I know I've asked this question a thousand times, but it doesn't seem like that's it. I just got to say, like, I, I'm cool with this. But like, what if I'm not? Are you, are you gonna god knows your heart oh okay cool um for real though like d- just believe bro it didn't cost me anything and that was the other thing like faith that m- me remaining present in this moment creates it is demands so much faith in not knowing that cost me something bro like i gotta in this, like, to be here and just listen to somebody speak and not get to jump into my own thought activity, to not obsess or reject or be like, to do that required so much more of me than just, oh, you know, fuck it. I believe it. I guess I was like, oh, faith, like, faith. 
Faith is me listening to my wife tell me about her day and not interrupting her. And if I do have something interesting to say, faith is trusting that I'll figure it out. It'll be there. I can just be here with you and that's enough. I don't know how the situation is going to turn out in the future in all these aspects of my life, but I'm going to figure it out because I kind of always do. Kind of always do. Always, always. Yeah. But you talked about the cost. It costs it yourself, which is every, or, you know, the idea of yourself. And something else you were talking about before and a thought that I had was with, with those fears and with the Jesus story. And one of the things he says, or, you know, paraphrasing in the gospel of Thomas, if you understand this, you won't fear death essentially. And that is so much of what he talks about is, is letting go of that idea of yourself. And I've thought about this before and, and thought about just like how identity infiltrates like everything, all of our suffering to a degree is rooted in our idea of ourself, you know, anxiety being, you know, having a lesser idea of ourself in the future, depression, having a better idea of ourself in the past than we do now, or a better idea of someone else relative to our current idea of ourselves. Like it all comes back to the idea of ourself. And when I was thinking about this, I was pretty high walking around New York. I smoked a bunch of weed and I was just like going through and I was like trying to tie identity to everything. And then I got caught up on the fear of death. And like, how does that tie into, you know, our perception of self and, and what I sort of, you know, recognize, at least in the state of mind that I was in, this is how I saw it in that moment was that, you know, our fear of death is rooted in the end of that idea. And so with people talk about like the two biggest fears in our society are like public speaking and death. And sometimes people's fear of public speaking is like more than their fear of death. And it's so funny how those are directly tied to our perception of division and our perception of ourself as something separate from reality, fear of public speaking, perceiving others as not us and, and the ability for us as something separate from them to be judged. And so in order to, you know, let go of that fear, seeing yourself in them, seeing that you're only ever really talking to yourself is letting go of that idea of yourself from that point of view. And then, and then death is, or the fear of death is the end of that idea of you. But as you let go more and more of seeing yourself as something separate from reality, that fear of death begins to quiet down as well. So it's so interesting how our society runs rampant with all of these fears and like the things that we're not willing to look at are the things that are the roots of all of these fears. But we're, we're so afraid of looking at them because we think that's what's soothing the fear, but it's just like, patching on band-aids instead of actually getting to the root of things and and our society there's so many embodiments or, or examples or symbolism in this aspect of just like you know patching things up and not wanting to actually look at things for the way that they are so i just find it interesting how you know that perception of division the the jesus story and all of this is so tied into everything in our society that we experience the suffering that we experience and people don't want to let go of that idea of themselves and and they don't want to see it because they hold on to that because they think that's you know what derives their value and and validates them relative to others and so they want to keep seeing others because they're able to boost themselves up and and all of that shit it's it's fascinating to me how how much symbolism there is there and being able to see Jesus story like for the way that it was as opposed to the way that 
that we're told in you know the church growing up in Catholic school because I went to Catholic school as well for a while. Like it's it's cool to be able to see it, but it's fascinating how much cognitive dissonance is there that gets in the way of our ability to see what he was actually saying. Yeah, absolutely. It really does. I wanted to touch on this quickly because David, you coined an expression. I don't know if it's yours, but you used it in one of your videos and it caught my attention. You were talking about Jesus and you were saying there's a big difference between talking about the man, the person, the reality, whatever the story is based on, and then there's zombie Jesus. And I really appreciated the expression zombie Jesus because that sums it up so very well because it really is a dead version of the story in general. Like there is no insight to be had from the only child of God. Hmm. All you can do is look up. That's all you can do. And that was the one thing the church really, really hammered home. It's not you. It can never be you. And it's so interesting that there is only me. There is only you. That is the entirety of, of your existence. That's the entirety of existence from everyone's point of view. Reality is subjectivity. Whether we like it or not, you can't get away from that. So one of the reasons that I really resonated with Christianity, I, I went through kind of the same process you did when I woke up, quote unquote, um, all of the concepts that had been jammed in my head for the entirety of my life were just kind of sitting there in this whirlwind, just connecting, coming together. It's like, oh, wow. Oh, oh, shit. Oh, wow. That makes sense. And really, and, and it's just going through all these stories and suddenly seeing them in an entirely new light. But what really hit me was the fact that not, not just the fact that the Bible is old, but like half the population of this reality or this planet is aware of it. Like it's a symbol that, that has a lot of focus on it. And as such, since this is all me, it's just like in a dream, you know, exploring relics in a game, as it were, right? There has to be some lesson in it. There has to be some, some, some clue. And so that's why I, I dove into it. And then after that, the Bhagavad Gita and the, Dhamma, the Dhammapada, the, uh, the Tao Te Ching, all of these things, they all have the same message. But as you were saying, from a slightly different perspective, there are, everybody's talking about the same goddamn experience, but we're so busy comparing who we follow that we can't relate to one another. And it's so very interesting. And so here's my question. I know I'm, I'm beating around the bush. You are not the only one who tends to be long-winded. I just wanted to reassure you there because as much as we're all kind of long-winded, it's because we have interesting shit to say, or at least it's interesting to us, which is why people are listening to it. If we were trying to educate other people, it would be less interesting to everybody involved. So don't worry about being long-winded. At least you're enthusiastic. My, my question is, do you think holding on to these traditional religious paths or these traditional spiritual practices is a good thing? Do you think that that's helping us? Because it's something we've done for a very long time, but the longer we hold on to a practice, the more structured it becomes. The longer we, we habitually go through a ceremony, the less meaning it has. It becomes more and more conceptual over time. And so my curiosity for you, because I know you will always admit there is value in these lessons. There are value in these, in these paths and in, in these practices. My perspective tends to be that the very act of structuring them takes away from their efficacy. And so I'm curious for your thoughts about that. Oh, I love this. This gets my dick hard. Oh man. Yeah. That's, um, I feel very strongly about this. Something that you notice 
when you see sort of a large aggregate of how people sort of experience their awakening specifically in the internet age is, and they talk about it in this book by uh, Trungpa, uh, Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism, which I think every person who's having a spiritual awakening should read. It's so incredibly grounding, uh, cutting through spiritual materialism. Dear God, I read it, you know, once a month. And then he talks about how you collect these sort of relics of like practices and structures and themes and things. And eventually, you know, you're, you got a, a closet full of shit and you don't ever go in there to see any of it. And so in it, he talks about um, allowing the excitement to kind of dissipate and to lock into one or two things and just do that. And I didn't see the wisdom in that when I first read it, but it's kind of revealed itself in a different way for me because what what people tend to do is just jump from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. Oh, I'm astrology, tarot, ritualistic magic, fucking, you know, whatever the shit, right? And never going below a certain depth, right? Never diving below a certain depth of that. What my experience has been, though, when you lock in with one thing or a couple things and you're with it the whole time, the failings of the fact that it has been structured usually mean infinitely less because of the nature of your care. The further you get down any of these paths, the less the structure matters. The closer you get in the beginnings of these things, yes, they're heavy. Fucking meditate. Shut up and meditate. Go in a room. I got a question. My third eye's opening. That's cute. Shut up and meditate. Shut up and meditate. I'm a big fan of Sadhguru and the Isha Institute. They're really great about this. One of the moratoriums they have on when you speak about things there is you only get to speak about your experience. Don't tell me what you think about it. What was your experience? That's it. Shut up and meditate. Shut up and meditate. This level of structure is so massive and important at the beginning of someone's spiritual journey because without it, you bounce around and you turn into an asshole like spewing your shenanigans because there's no sort of groundedness for you, right? You're not locked in and channeling that energy into the present. You're just spewing it everywhere, telling everybody what's wrong with them. Really proud of yourself that you can see what's wrong with everything when you should just be shutting up and meditating. This is an important lesson to learn. And for twofold, and this is why I'm like always going to champion spiritual, quote unquote, spiritual systems, because if you have a certain awakening from a certain level of energy at a certain point, love you muggles, but we ain't got nothing for that. We don't have anything for you dropping into a complete and open state of non-duality and nothing means anything for extended periods of time. It's, it turns into psychosis. Sorry, you're fucked. Like, I don't know what to tell you. You're in trouble. And, and so for a lot of folks, when you're vibrating at that level, you need someone who has experience on the other side of that to A, know it's not that big of a deal. And B, to give you the structure to go shut up and meditate. Let's ground the mind. And it's not just meditation. It's all of these systems. We, we bastardize them in the West by picking out these little bits. When they're locked in 
if I'm going into just a, a Zen monastery and I'm just Zen and that's what I'm doing, all of the little shenanigans that happen are ripped apart. They're, your, your diet changes, the way you move. I'm, I'm in, there's yoga, there's so, not yoga, but there's movement, there's getting your body involved. There's so many aspects of these systems that if people would actually dedicate themselves to one or two things, they would eventually get to that that of the, at the end of that, at the end of those journeys, a lot of the time, end of those journeys, at a certain point in those journeys, the teacher's there to be like, all right, there's nothing here for you, bud. What you chasing? Oh, you know, like, I just, I want to be, I want to get liberated and do the thing. And they're like, what are you chasing? You know, I want to go, whatever, whatever. What are you chasing, bud? That's the power of those systems. There's so much I, but I think the issue is that we don't go deep enough with any of them. And so it's just like, well, fuck the systems. Like, no, nah, man. Bro, they built pyramids. For I hear shit. you. I hear you. I do have a counterpoint. And, and the reason is, is in an ideal world, I would agree with you. I would agree that these systems were designed very much to avoid that consequence. But because our world is so egotistical, those teachers are far and few in between. They, they don't exist in a lot of places and and often you have people who masquerade as those teachers and will say yeah yeah we're going to the end of the line and the end of the line is not there they don't ever hit that point where they're like why are you still chasing you don't really need to be here you got this because they depend on you following them they depend on you looking up to them and that is unfortunately a consequence this is something we mentioned bruce lee um earlier i had the distinct pleasure of learning from a man who studied with bruce lee learning wing chun from Ip man back in the 60s and he was my sifu and that was very much the lesson was there is no mastery there is no concept you're ever going to get to you always have to keep learning you always have to keep growing this is all about you and all of that but you try finding another sifu who does that it's hard it's really really hard because we've all been taught to try and evaluate ourselves we've all been taught to try and get to a point where we can define ourselves as being this and that sets us up as in our place in the world it's difficult, I, I find, to find people who follow those practices to their end or to the point where they evaporate, as it were. I'll give you a great example. Uh, right now, there's somebody on my TikTok comment or on one of my TikTok videos, and he regularly comes back, but he's been on uh, the Vedanta path for 30 years of his life. Can't stop conceptualizing, can't see that it's all pointing at him. He can't get out, he can't get away from the ideas and he has a master. He has somebody that he works with. He has somebody who's teaching him this stuff. And all I keep saying is go talk to that person, you know, ask them about this because they may have a different perspective, but the problem isn't the teacher. The problem isn't the structure. The problem is the lack of responsibility. It's the lack of will. For me, I had to accept that perhaps there was no gurus left. Perhaps there was nobody left who knew what this was all about. Perhaps it was all distortion. And I had to take it on myself as if that were the case. It had to be me. And, and so this would be the point that I, I, was, I wanted to argue is that I don't necessarily think that that immediately leads you to psychosis. I will say that it, it definitely skirts the edges, but I, I think it, it very much comes down to how much faith in yourself you've learned, how much responsibility you've had to embody in your life. Like for me, I had been homeless. I was without a family. I had been on my own for a very, very long time. And so the idea that I had to do it myself, that if there was an insight to find, it was on me, 
wasn't necessarily the scariest thing because I had already been feeding myself and surviving on my own for a long time. So that, that helped me. But I think a lot of us, we aren't prepared for that. We come out of this society where everything's done for us and we go into a spiritual practice and the lesson is, no, it's on you. But the practice can't get that across if we're not willing to face it. And I think that sometimes offering that structure to people makes it easier for them to avoid facing it, makes it easier for them to avoid that responsibility that it, it does have to be on you. If there was no teacher to teach you, if you were alone in the world, would this still be there for you? And of course it would be. Of course it would be, right? Whereas I've had religious people tell me like, nope, without the Dhammapada, we'd have no truth. Or without the Bible, there'd be no way to find God. And, and it, it's all horseshit. I mean, it all comes from us. Ah, hell yeah. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, yeah, like with this and, you know, to go back as always to my own experience with the concepts, it's like they're they're useful until you realize that you don't need them. Like you think you need them until you realize that you don't. And like for me, for, for meditation, for example, I meditated basically every day for three years and it was it was super useful, but I was able to continue digging into things. I continued questioning throughout it. I was able to sort of recognize things. And I think honestly, creating content, like talking about this stuff openly was a massive aspect of that. And being able to publicly like go through different spiritual sort of egotistical spiritual beliefs and, and ideas and, and holding on to stuff and then letting it go. And, and David, I see this with your stuff too, as, as Ray said early on, you know, you'll, post a video and then you'll post another one and be like, yeah, but uh, you know, I could have said something else too. And being able to recognize that. So with the tools, like for meditation, I, I recognized at some point that it was just something I was doing in the morning. Like I was just, it was just a time that I was sitting with my eyes closed. It wasn't necessarily this thing that was having such a severe impact on the rest of my day, because throughout the day, I was also meditating, you know, like seeing things as they were catching myself, getting caught up in shit and being able to like see it in the moment as opposed to like needing that time set aside necessarily. But it's not to say that the meditation wasn't a useful aspect of it. But I think as Ray was mentioning, there's not a lot of people who hold on to gurus and teachers that get to the point that they realize oh, I, I don't need this. Like if they realize I don't need this one, I need another one. Or if I don't need this practice, I need another practice. Like where, where's the other thing? And, and so I'm, it, it just kind of makes me wonder like the balance of that. Like, I guess, I think for me, it's letting go of the belief that that's an end all be all thing. Like in any sort of practice or, or teacher, like recognizing that you can't point to that and be like, meditation's the answer. Or like, you know, the Bible's the answer. Like that, that guru's the answer. And so many people get so caught up in like, you know, oh, my teacher, my teacher taught me this. And it's like, okay, but why are you perceiving so much division between you and your teacher? Like, as long as you're seeing a teacher, you're not going to be able to see things as clearly because you're still perceiving yourself as something separate from them. And so like fundamentally at its core, you're not going to be able to recognize things clearly if you hold on to any type of teacher or any type of other that isn't that isn't you. So 
it's like with everything, you know, it's the pendulum swinging back and forth. It's being able to experience something, but not latch on, like hold things, hold it with open hands as you know, the saying goes, but yeah, it's, it's, it always makes me wonder that balance of holding on versus being able to let go and, and move beyond. And I think sort of, as Ray was mentioning, like in our society, we're so used to holding on to things and pointing to things like that's the answer. Oh, that's the answer. It's like, none of them, none of them are the answer. Like being able to hold, like see that recognition that like, no matter what you point to, it's never going to be the truth or the answer. Like that's the, the core sort of thing of it. And then moving forward, you can sort of relax into that uncertainty that like, I don't know, maybe there isn't an answer or maybe everything's the answer and, and nothing at the same time, the, the paradox of it. But yeah, we oftentimes get very caught up in feeling like we need something to see it and letting go of that and relaxing into that mentality is sort of it, but you got to be able to let go of the belief that it's something else. <laughs> yep. Exactly that. <laughs> ah, man, I'm, I'm, uh, I totally, I think one of the challenges, yeah, that I, I notice is, hmm, I don't, I can't remember where I read this, but it's like your relationship with your guru changes. Like when you first meet them, they're like this thing or like way up there. Eventually you um, are kind of having a conversation as friends or whatever, as equals. And then at the end of your relationship, you'll see them on the street, you'll nod and you'll keep going. And I thought that it's really kind of beautifully poetic. And all of the teachers that I've gravitated to have been some sort of version of that. And I can see that in our relationship, how in the beginning I kind of elevated them to this thing and they never asked to do that. They never asked me to do that. They didn't tell me to. I have one that specifically went out of her way to demystify herself, which at the time I was super judgmental of. I was like, oh my God, she's getting so worked up. Embarrassing. I would never, I have way more control over myself than this idiot. Didn't see the teaching, but she'd fly off the handle, right? To, to, to humanize her, but to also remind you that you're going to do this, right? You're going to go into life and you're going to do this tomorrow you just did it you just did it those are the sort of teachers i found that i gravitate to and i will say admittedly i live in la and i like very big city idea is is the the la effect when people come to la almost immediately the first thing everybody says for the first like year and a half it's a it's a running joke at this point Oh man, everybody in LA is only in it for themselves. They're super egoic. Everybody fucking sucks. Nobody's da 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 da. And I'm like, uh huh. Okay. How long you here? Year and a half. Yeah. Okay. Just on wait. And like fucking clockwork. It's literally like, oh, you know what? I found my tribe. I fucking, and you know, oh, it's great, man. Oh, I don't know what that was back then. Oh, it was you, bud. It was you. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. I guess I was really egoic into myself, and I was attracted to people around me like that. And so, it's been my sort of experience that as I've sort of grown, the the relationship with the idea of a guru has changed. But also, I don't find myself in spaces with people who are deeply egoic and who are giving you anything to hold on to things. To 
to grasp onto. None of like, I'm, I'm an Isha meditator. Nothing about that situation with Sadhguru has anything to do with like him. Like he doesn't, I mean, if he's elusive in an interview, like the closer you get to that thing, like, you know, satsangs and whatever, the less he gives you to grab onto. It's fucking hilarious. People come and they beg. Oh man, I don't know what to do with my, like, my family wants me to be, um, to focus on being a wife, but I really want to focus on my career. And he's like, what do you want me to do with that? Like I watched him do this shit in real time. It was the funniest thing. He's like, what do you want me to do with that? I could tell you, oh, you know, give you some great words and just, you know what? Screw all that. Follow me. And you probably do it. But no, like I could tell you, oh, you should definitely focus on your career in 10 weeks. You're going to be like, well, maybe it should be a way. Like, what do you want me to do with that? And I just I've watched <laughs> do that shit in real time. And it's so fucking cool to me that they exist. I do agree that we are more so inundated by shenanigans, though. Like people just on some bullshit, people who are making it all about them. And uh, I think things like your podcast, <laughs> things like the spaces that, that we all sort of create for each other are so powerfully transformative and being able to sort of recognize the fuckery and sort of also show people like, hey, you exist. Like seeing you guys online was such a it's a it's such a transformational it's like all the black people on tiktok realizing that we all love paramore at the same time we were just like oh shit everybody likes paramore who knew thank god for the internet it's like oh wait everybody in the spiritual community isn't crazy look at you i've described it as like screaming into a like a a crowded room and nobody paying attention and then one person looking at you and being like hey i hear you yeah. Okay. You, you, you see me, you see what I'm doing. All right. We're doing it. All right. Come on. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Like that shit to me is glorious. And so, yeah, I don't, I, I would never subscribe or prescribe to any sort of way in particular being the thing. I will always be a, a proponent of like, bro, the secrets of the universe are in that coffee cup over there. It's the same thing. Uh, but, I, but I will say I do find use to use in structure, but any structure, whatever that looks like for you, um, needs to happen. Like that, I think is something that I, I, I think is a sticking point that a lot of people don't necessarily take a lot of care with, especially on their spiritual journey, because when the whole thing, when everything is so holistic, the idea of shrinking it into a structure is a, like an abomination to that idea. How dare you? But we all, you know, we all need our concepts. And so, the, you know, I love how you guys have the inherent usefulness of it. That's exactly it, man. Yeah, this is useful. I'm a, yo, man, <laughs> I, maybe I need to go go for a run today. Maybe I just need to do that. Okay. It's a useful. I, I know. I know it's not really. I know that I'm still here, but like uh, right now I need to fucking go. Okay, cool. That's what we're going to do. And that's yeah. okay, too. Keep it light. Keep it grounded. Don't take yourself too seriously. Relax. Enjoy your life. You know, look for some enthusiasm or empathy if you can. It's another Krishnamurti quote that uh, you reminded me of earlier when you were talking about just getting out of the way and allowing intelligence to process. Krishnamurti once said that empathy has its own action. And I thought that was really well worded because as soon as you're in the experience of empathy, 
it works differently. There's a different type of intelligence at play there. And all of a sudden you would do something that your ego wouldn't understand and would probably reject. And so it's really just tapping into that. And I think we're going to have to let you go here, David. I know that. I know that we could talk forever. And I'm really looking forward to having you at a retreat one day or in person, because I'm sure this conversation is going to get far more in-depth than it has. But I think it's so important to recognize that structures are, are helpful, concepts and tools are helpful, but that they can become a consequence or they can become a negative influence when they're not coupled with awareness and responsibility. And I think, you know, astrology is a perfect example. At one point, astrology was based on people doing hundreds and hundreds of years of actual observation of not just the stars, but themselves and the stuff that they were going through. Same with the Mayan calendar and the long count and all that. Like they were looking at their own states of mind as well as what was happening all around them. I will give them credibility for that because that was me doing it. And I would expect some credibility as well if I was working that hard at it. But after that, we spent the next thousand years or more just kind of taking that at face value and all of the work and awareness that went into establishing that structure disappeared. And so now the astrological signs are changing, the, the earth is moving, and yet we are still referring to Scorpio as Scorpio and Cancer as Cancer, as if that hasn't changed and it means the same thing. And, and so I think it's so important that we respect structures until they need to be torn down and rebuilt. And we're going to wrap up the episode very shortly here. Um, I wanted to mention quickly that, of course, David does one-on-one -on -one coaching. Uh, he also does live streams on his TikTok. Go and check out his TikTok account. Go and check out his podcast. Talk to David in his live stream or book an appointment with him one-on-one. -on -one. You won't regret it. And I'm not saying that he's going to fix anything for you, but he'll give you the space to allow yourself to have an insight. And with that in mind, I did want to make one more book recommendation because it's a really good book and it's all about the danger of taking a good thing too far and lacking awareness. It's called The Canticle for Leibowitz. You'll find it on Google. It's a fantastic book. It was written, I think, in the 50s or the 60s, but basically it's, it's post-apocalyptic. We took our scientific knowledge to the point where we wiped out most of the species and then everybody rejected intelligence and science and we went through like a thousand years of stupidity only for somebody else to go... Well, there was some value there. Maybe we should start looking into some of that old lost knowledge and whatnot. And so they did, and they started reforming the structure, trying to regain awareness and intelligence. And then a thousand years later, brought them right back to fucking apocalypse. It's an intensely good book. I definitely recommend the read. I read too many books like this. I'm so excited for this one. I just, I got to read Twilight or something, man. I got to chill. But like, you yeah, this is fantastic. It. You will enjoy it, especially given that the author of the book committed suicide about a decade later. So, he was definitely looking at some raw stuff, but maybe not from the perspective of, you know, things can change. So mm -hmm. I definitely recommend it for you because you'll get a lot out of it. It's a great book, but uh, I want to say thank you, David, for being here, for having this conversation with us. I really hope that we can have you back in season four. Maybe we can even uh, collaborate on a couple of live shows. I'll pass it off to Andrew here, but um, everybody who's listening, thank you for paying attention through this entire episode. I know we haven't really said anything that you don't know, but at least we've reminded you that you do know it. Yo, that's hot. Absolutely. Yeah, David, man, I so appreciate you. And thank you for coming on here. I love your content. Love the applicability, as I mentioned before, of everything that you say. The ability to see things with so much clarity, but not tie yourself to it and get so attached to that and the idea of yourself and being able to let that go while continuing to process and continuing to just put shit out there for people to chew on, people to deal with for themselves and, and take that responsibility themselves for 
the words that you're saying. So I appreciate you, man, a lot. And it was an awesome time chatting with you. And thank you so much for coming on here with us. Thank you guys. Yo, this was a, this is an absolute pleasure. Like I just feels like I'm talking to old friends. I really thank you guys. This is great. Absolutely. I look forward to it happening again. All right. We will wrap it up here. Thank you again for tuning in. We will see you in a few weeks for the next episode and definitely tune in on Patreon. If you would like to keep updated on what's happening at the retreat, including karaoke, take care. Bye everyone.